In 2017, Disney released the highly acclaimed film Coco, a vibrant tale rich in Latino culture. Its story introduced many to a holiday they likely previously hadn't been familiar with called Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead. The holiday celebrated on November 1st and 2nd is a joyful celebration of the lives of loved ones who have passed to the other side. The holiday is rich in symbolism and as a Latter-day Saint, there may even be aspects that feel familiar. Sigrid Hernandez is originally from Guadalajara, Jalisco, and has worked for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for eight years and now is currently employed at Brigham Young University. She has two beautiful daughters who keep her busy with their quirky personalities, and she also has a twin sister. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Pearson, and I am honored to have Sigrid Hernandez on the line with me today. Sigrid, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, most people listening probably don't even know this, but when I interview people for this podcast, I always start with a prayer before we ever hit record. And Sigrid, you're, I think, the first person to ever ask if you can say the prayer, which made me so happy. And then (laughs) you said it in Spanish, which um, just made me even happier. So we are off to a great start with this interview. And I wanted to start out to go back to when you were a child. I watched a video on, I believe it was, it was just a YouTube video where you talked about how you grew up watching your mom go to great lengths just to feed you and your siblings. I wondered if we could start by having you tell us a little bit about how you grew up and what your growing up looked like. Yeah. So it was really hard, honestly. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so a lot of times we didn't have gifts during during Christmas. And I remember one time we didn't have enough money to buy milk. And my mom sent me to the store. And of course, we didn't have a car. And she was at home with the babies. And it was a long, very, very long way to bring the milk back. And, you know, I was eight and the milk was heavy because I was carrying two milks, one on one on each side. And I remember being so mad because, you know, I'm a child and I'm walking and it's hot and it's heavy. And I just wanted to get home. And I remember when, when I got home, I placed the jugs on the floor and I think I hit him a little bit too hard that one of them exploded. And so first of all, he left the room smelling really bad, but I felt really, really bad because those two milks were supposed to last us for a long time. And that's one of the memories that I have. That's how bad we had it. And not only that, but I had a stepdad who was into drugs and alcohol and it was a very, very, very bad situation. And I remember going into my closet and I would tell myself, I need to get an education. 
because it is the only thing that's going to get me out of the situation. And I mean, I love my mom. She did the best that she could. But I thought to myself, I mean, I know that I don't speak any English. <laughs> I know that I don't know anyone like around me. All my family was in Mexico, except my mom and my my brothers and my sister. And I made it a goal in my life that I was going to do good in school, but I wasn't sure how I was going to do that. And now looking back, I know that getting an education was what get me, got me out of that situation. So when did you and your family, or when did, how did you end up coming to the United States? So my mom is actually, it's, my mom's father, he is actually from Germany and he ended up here in the United States. Okay. And then my grandma ended up here in the United States. She's, she's from Mexico. And so my mom was born here. And so my grandma and my grandfather, they separated. And so my, there's actually newspapers that talk about this, but my grandma basically stole my mom and my aunt to Mexico. And so, but you know, nobody ever went to look for them because it's a different country. My mom wanted us to, to have a better life. And so she came to the United States. And then later she found out that she was actually a U.S. citizen. And so it was her goal to bring us to the United States. And so it wasn't, I was born in Mexico, but it wasn't until she um, got like all the paperwork done. And then she brought me, my twin sister, and then my, one of my uh, younger brothers here. And then my other two brothers were born here. Okay. And how old would you have been then? I was, when she brought us back here, I was about eight. Okay. Wow. So when you, when you arrived in the United States, you didn't know English. Tell me a little bit about what that was like for you as a kid. And yeah, I just am curious about your experience coming to a country where you don't know the language. Oh, it was really hard. I I remember not loving who I was. I remember not loving my culture. And that is because, you know, I arrived here. I initially came to California and I saw a lot of people, a lot of kids that looked like me. And I saw a lot of teachers that looked like me, but they didn't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, they didn't want to speak Spanish or they didn't speak the language. And so they actually made fun whenever we, me and my sister, because we're twins, we went together everywhere and they made fun of us whenever we spoke our language. I remember going to get lunch and the lunch lady would tell me and my sister, I'm not going to give you any food if you don't speak the language. And I remember thinking, I don't even understand what you're saying. And then she started saying it in Spanish. And I was like, oh, so you do speak Spanish. That's amazing. But then she started saying it in Spanish. We're not going to give you any food. No comida. Si no hay inglés. And so I remember just all of those negative things that happened. I remember just thinking, I'm ashamed of myself. Like I, these people look like me, but they obviously don't like 
our heritage, our culture. Mm -hmm. And I thought the only way for me to survive is basically to be more Americanized. Right. Speak the language, uh, learn how to how to uh, understand all of the all of the tests because it is very different. The tests are very different than than in Mexico, and so I remember thinking I just need to basically abandon my culture so that I can be more Americanized because that's the only way that I'm going to survive in this country. I'm not going to have any friends. I don't have the support at home. So the only way was just to, you know, be, be more American. So what would you say it was that helped you eventually embrace your heritage and your culture? It has to be when I was a young adult and in California, there are so many cultural events and then I would see the people dancing with their cultural attire. And I would think to myself, what a beautiful, what a beautiful culture. I remember going back to, to see my abuelita and, and my dad in Mexico and thinking, Oh my goodness, all this time I was, I was trying to be more Americanized when this beautiful culture is mine. It belongs to me. And then I started to basically to change that. I started to learn how to dance folklorico. I started to visit my family in Mexico more often and embracing my culture a lot more. And it gave me a sense of who I am and where I come from. And it was just a beautiful thing because if I wouldn't have made that peace and make that connection with my culture and with who I am, it wasn't until later that I found the missionaries um, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And when they talked to me about the Book of Mormon, it was just perfect timing because I made that connection with my culture. And then they told me about the Book of Mormon and I started to read it. And there was no way that I could say that the Book of Mormon was not true. And it was because of my culture that I that where I come from, you know. So, uh, first of all, how did you come in contact with the missionary, Sigrid? Yeah, so my, my, one of my brothers, his best friend, actually up to this date, he is a member of the church. And so his mom started to visit my mom. And so they invited the missionaries and so when they, and then I remember that my mom started to change. She started to be kinder. She started to be more loving. She started to have more patience. And she told me about the missionaries. She told me, I think you need to meet these missionaries because they're based, they're going to change your life. And I remember thinking missionaries, like, like, Catholic missionaries from like the missions in California. I was very confused, but then I thought, okay, I'll, I'll meet them. And so, because if there's a change in the behavior of my mom, then it must be something good. And so I met the missionaries and, um, we invited them. My mom invited them over to our house and I was there. And so 
At the end of like all the discussions, I decided to get baptized and my mom was supposed to get baptized with me, but she ended up not getting baptized. I was the only one that took that step of faith to and got baptized. Another question, uh, what was it about what you read in the Book of Mormon that was so recognizable from your heritage? Yes. Thank you for asking me this question because I... I love sharing my testimony. And so it was when Jesus came to the Americas. That's what got me. And so in Mexico, they teach you about our ancestors and they teach you about the Aztecs and the fall of, you know, the uh, Mexican civilizations. And so they teach you that, and this has nothing to do with with like, Catholicism or anything. This is just what they teach you in regular schools. They just teach you about history. And uh, one of the things that I remember that was taught to me was that the Aztecs were waiting for somebody who was going to come back to them and that he was going to be white. And so when um, Hernan Cortes, he came to Mexico, he was light skinned and so because the Aztecs were were waiting for someone who was light they actually trusted him and it was because of that trust that brought the civilization down and so I remember thinking about that when I when I was reading the Book of Mormon that Jesus Christ came to the Americas and I thought oh my goodness it's like as if I knew that this happened I knew that that it was Jesus Christ who we were, who were, who my ancestors were waiting for. But then it just, I just came to realization. It was as if I, if I already knew this, but then I, I remembered. And it, I, I know it's weird, but to me, it was an automatic, yes, this is true because I know it. There's no way I can say that it's not true because I, I know it. And so that's what I knew it. And if the Book of Mormon is true, then, you know, Joseph Smith is, is he was a prophet and everything else in the gospel is true. That is so, so neat and so cool uh, to hear that perspective. I want to transition now to you recently did a presentation for my work at Deseret Book about Dia de los Muertos. And I will be honest with you and say I've seen pictures, I've heard about this holiday, but I had no idea how symbolic every aspect of the holiday is. And watching your presentation honestly made me want to celebrate it. And I thought it would be great to share with other people. So I wondered, first of all, if you could explain why ancestors matter so much in Hispanic culture that there is a day, a whole holiday to honor them. Yes. I just remember my grandma, you know, talking to us and just making it, making, making sure that, you know, my mom and then 
us and then just like all the generations know that our ancestors are very, very important. They come with a lot of knowledge. And if we were to learn about what they have learned, then we would be better people. And so in Mexico, there's so many traditions, just like the movie Coco, how the great grandma is still living at their at their parents, like at their uh, kid's house. That's just exactly how it is. We would never um, take our parent or our grandparent and put him in, in another house. It's like, it's my honor and my responsibility to take care of this beautiful being that because of them, we, we are alive. And so we also have dances in Mexico, you know, one particularly that it's called El Baile de los Viejitos. And so it's basically the dance of the old men. And they all wear uh, masks that look like old men, but they wear really colorful uh, outfits. And so they do a lot of zapateado with their feet and they basically dance with their feet. And they are actually really good at it. And so if you know that dance, then, then you'll know that they are really good at it. And so it just basically symbolizes that with old age comes a lot of wisdom. And is that wisdom that would make us better people if we learn from our ancestors. And I think it just goes with the gospel too. If we were just to learn about all the experiences that, you know, that the Nephites had with our Savior, Jesus Christ, if we were to pass that down and we were able to believe it and then put it into action in our lives, we would be better people and we would have a better connection with our Savior. And so I think that's why our ancestors are so important to celebrate. <laughs> so, so well said. And I... I think that message of recognizing the wisdom of the seniors, the people that are still living, as well as those that have passed away, I think is so important. I was lucky enough, have been lucky enough to be raised by a mom who loves elderly people. And so she would always take us growing up to visit like rest homes. And we'd have like these adopted grandparents at these rest homes and things. And I, because of that, I've noticed like sometimes in social situations, I'll gravitate toward the older people in the room because a lot of times like they just sit there and nobody talks to them. And I just think that's so sad because they're a wealth of knowledge and could teach you so many things. And you can ask them fascinating questions and they have great answers and but like we just forget about them. And I think that that is, it's so important to remember. So I love that you highlighted the wisdom of our elders. I want to transition now to, I want to talk a little bit about Dia de los Muertos. So could you just kind of a baseline knowledge for those of us that are not as familiar Tell us a little bit about what the significance is of Dia de los Muertos. 
Yes. In Mexico, we celebrate Dia de los Muertos on the 1st of November, and but it actually starts a couple of days before. And so it is a way for us to honor um, our ancestors of those who have passed away. And so it is believed, it is tradition to believe that on the first day, on the 31st, is when the heavens open. And so the souls of the children are able to come with the living and be able to spend time with family for those who are alive. And then on the first is where everybody else gets to come to the world of the living and be able to spend some time with family members who are alive. And so we, we do that celebration. And I think it goes so well with the gospel because, first of all, death is not going to set us apart. We have a Savior who makes, uh, who has basically died for us so that death is not going to separate us from our families. And so on that day, we don't celebrate death. We celebrate life. And so, you know, being able to spend it with families and being able to celebrate and honor those who have passed away, that one day we're going to be able to see them again. And it is because of our Savior. And so it is a good day to remember who we are, to remember also that death is not something that we need to be scared of, but something that can be celebrated because it is just a circle of life. You know, it, it is part of our human life that we're one day we're going to be we're going to to die and pass away for the next phase of of our lives and hopefully we'll one day be able to meet our savior and so um, it is a way to celebrate and also to keep conscious that or to be conscious that you know yes there's a lot of things that bad that happen in our lives there's a lot of contention. There's a lot of hardship. There are a lot of hard things that we have to go through, but life is beautiful. We still are able to, you know, to hug our loved ones. We're able to tell our loved ones that we love them. We're able to to hug our children, to hug our parents, our grandparents, and and to to go through life. Life is beautiful. And so it is also a way for us who are living to recognize that life has so many gifts that gives us every day. Being alive every day and having the opportunity to to change who we are and you know to make some changes and and to be happy regardless of the hardships in our lives. It's just a way to the Dia de los Muertos is also a celebration that we can do that. We have that opportunity to do that. And so yeah, we we celebrate it. <laughs> Well, I love that. And and I think probably, Sigrid, that prior to the movie Coco, you mentioned earlier, most of us were not familiar at all with this holiday. If anything, we saw like the skeletons and the skulls. And that can be a little jarring, I think, if you're not familiar. So can you tell us a little bit about what those skeletons in the skulls represent? Yes. The skeletons, they represent, you know, that there's going to be another face in our lives that we're going to be basically 
connected. And so it also represents that no matter who we are, no matter what color, what gender, what education we have, if we are rich, if we are not, all of us look the same on the inside. And all of us, um, we are all children of our Heavenly Father, and He loves us all the same. Uh, in the inside, we look the same. And so there is this icon that is represented in Dia de los Muertos, and she is called the Katrina. She is basically a female skull. And so she represents, she has a very important role in El Dia de los Muertos, because if dead, death had a face, it would look like her. <laughs> it is somebody who, who has a lot of color, you know, in her dresses, what she dresses. And the color just means life. You know, the purple might mean uh, a bad day. The yellow means the sunshine of, you know, some days are going to be sunny. And so all the colors in, in her attire, it just basically means life. There were, some days are going to be wonderful. Some days, not too much, but the gift of life, you know, we still have it. And so she has a purpose in the day of Dia de los Muertos because she is meant to basically take care of all the bones of the people who have passed away. And so she keeps them with her so that they don't get lost. And so to me, as a member of the church, to me, it just means like, first of all, I'm thinking, why is she keeping all the bones, right? So, well, it, I, to me, it has a special meaning because, you know, one day we're going to need those bones because... We're going to be alive again, and our bodies are going to be resuscitated, and we're going to be just better beings when Jesus Christ comes back and, you know, the resurrection, and, and we're going to be together again. And those bones are, are probably going to be important for us to have and not to lose them. And so she just reminds me of, of you know, the gospel in our lives. And just she just reminds me, you know, the, the plan of salvation. One day we're going to be reunited with our bodies again. And so we're probably going to need those bones. Yes. Good thing. And good so, thing she's got them. <laughs> Good thing she's got them. <laughs> and so she she plays a, a very important role in Dia de los Muertos because, yeah, she saves all of her bones. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Another part of Dia de los Muertos that people may be familiar with and have probably seen is the ofrenda. And that is what people prepare in their homes. It kind of looks like a shrine. Can you explain what those are? And I was so blown away in your presentation, how you talked about all of the symbolism in the ofrenda. So I wondered if you could share a little bit of that. Yes. So first of all, you don't have to be Mexican to have an ofrenda <laughs> because Dia de los Muertos is not, is not specifically or culturally just for Mexican people. Did it, it originated in Mexico? Yes, but anybody in the world can celebrate it. And so in the ofrenda, it's, it's like an altar where we put pictures of our loved ones. And I know that we all have pictures in our home of our loved ones. And some of those pictures might be of those who have passed away. Well, these pictures, this altar, this ofrenda, we put pictures of the loved ones who have passed away. And it doesn't even have to be family members. It can be somebody that we just loved or that we admired. And so 
We put little calaveritas, which are just small skulls, and we decorate them with a lot of colors. Those are specifically for the children who have passed away. And the skulls, like I mentioned before, they just, it's just a, a reminder, you know, that that we all look the same on the inside, that we're all children of our Heavenly Father, and that death is just part of our human cycle. And so in these uh, shrines, they are basically different levels. And the different levels, they mean something. And so originally, there's like seven levels. But the most common one that you're going to be seeing in houses or offices or anywhere around, they usually have three levels. And the levels just mean the steps of what the death or that person who had passed away, the steps of what they need to do in order for them to be happy. And so usually we use three levels and the levels that for us, what it means is Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. And so basically those are the steps for those who have passed away if they want to be happy. And so those are the things that they need to learn about and make a connection with in order for them to have eternal life. And so we decorate it with pictures. We decorate it with food. Usually the foods that they liked when they were alive. So you can put, for example, a, a, some enchiladas <laughs> on the side. So if, if that person who had passed away, they really love enchiladas and you put it there just so that uh, it can be reminded and honor them uh, of what they enjoyed in life. So it's a recognition, you know, all these beautiful things that we have with that, you know, we are able to taste and to do. You can play a guitar, you can put a guitar in there. And they also have the Sempasuchil flowers. The Sempasuchil flowers, they are orange and it just symbolizes like the light of the sun. And so it have it has a very, that flower has a specific scent. You will be able to smell it if I'm right here and you're in the next room. <laughs> and it's just basically in order for those who have passed away, those souls to be able to recognize where they're supposed to go. And the color of the Sempasuchil, it just uh, means like the sun, the light of the sun. And it's basically a light for them to be able to find their way to their loved ones. And so the Sempasuchil flower and also the papel picado, which is just the, the different paper and the colors of all the paper. It just basically means life. One day we're going to have a good day. One day is not going to be too good, but life is beautiful when you put them all combined. And so we add that in our, in our ofrenda as well as the monarch butterflies. And so in Mexico, in a specific city in Mexico, all of the monarch butterflies, they come from basically around the world. And then they go to a specific place in Mexico. It's just a, it's just a nature thing. It's nothing that we do in Mexico. It's just the nature of the monarch butterfly. It just travels all the way to the specific place. And it just coincides that when they arrive to this part of Mexico, they, it's the day of the death. And so it's always in November 1st, you know, October 31st, November 1st. And so it is said that the monarch butterflies are the soul's of our ancestors or the souls of those who have passed away that are basically hitching a ride on the butterfly so they can come back home. 
And so those are some of the things that we use in our, in our ofrendas. And ofrendas can be so different. It can be something really small. It could be something big. Uh, if you go anywhere in Mexico or any, any store basically in California that is a Mexican store, you're always going to see an ofrenda in Dia de los Muertos. And that's just basically to honor our ancestors and to remember them. And I know that in Coco, it's, they, you know, they say that if you don't have the picture of your ancestor, then he's basically going to die. I think that they just added that so that it could fit the story better, but we don't believe that. Souls are not gonna, are not gonna disappear. Souls are gonna be there. It's just a way for us to honor them so that they can come and visit us. But even those that their pictures are not in any ofrenda, we also believe that they also come and visit us. Those are just some of the things that we do with the ofrendas. Like I said, you can have small ones, like tiny miniature ones that you can keep in your office, or they can be big ones. In Mexico, in some parts of Mexico, depending on where you're at, they might have these huge ofrendas outside of their houses, very, very colorful, and you can visit them. And they have actually, they make food. They they make pan de muerto. They make uh, tamales, or they can also make like hot drinks, and they basically share it with the community. You don't have to be a member of their family to just go and admire their ofrenda and, and talk to them and they will probably offer you food because uh, Dia de los Muertos it's a community thing it's not like oh you're not going to come to my house because we don't know you only family it's not like that we are all family we all come together to celebrate our ancestors because we all have them and so <laughs> that's so great I Love that so, so much. As you were talking and uh, as I watched the presentation and then just now, there was even more of this that I feel like I picked up on, but this idea of symbolism and it reminds me of another place that we see a lot of symbolism and another place that we honor the dead, which is the temple. And I think so many times, I think people hear about temple work and the proxy work that we do in the temple. And they think like, that sounds kind of strange. Um, but listening to you, I'm like, well, if this was what our culture celebrated, then temple work wouldn't sound so strange. <laughs> so I'm curious what does temple work mean to you as a Latina Latter-day Saint? Yes. So I know th there's this picture that I was showing in the presentation about my favorite, up to this date, my favorite ofrenda. And so in this specific ofrenda, um, you see a lot of skeletons, you know, with uh, playing like the trumpet and stuff like that on one side. And then on the other side, you see people kneeling on the ground, you know, basically crying because that person has passed away. But on the other side, like I said, there's a lot of people with trumpets and it just symbolizes that once we pass away, we're going to meet so many of our family that that we might not know about right now that are going to welcome us and we're going to see them 
And so the temple work for me, it's, and I think for, for a lot of people who, who are Latinos and for a lot of other people too, it is very important because we have a lot more family than we think we have. And once we see them on the afterlife, then we're going to remember them all. And so it is important to honor our ancestors by doing temple work, not just to remember them on the Dia de los Muertos, but also doing the temple work because they cannot do it with us. And, uh, and at some point we cannot do it without them. And so we are all a family and in order in a best way to honor them and who we are right now, it's, it's to do the work for them and to keep digging because one day we're going to see them and then they're going to be like, why didn't you do this work for me? And then we're going to remember, oh my goodness. And I love this tia. I love this, this auntie. And why didn't I do this for her? And so I think it, it is such an important thing for us to do, to do the temple work for them, to honor them because we're going to see them again. <laughs> and, and I think to me, at least that's a very, very exciting thought, but it, it, it will be even better. I think the more people, that we're able to do that work for the happier that occasion will be. Sigurd, this has been so fun for me. And I want to ask you the last question that we always ask on this podcast. And I'm wondering if you could do something for me. I was thinking it would be really cool to have you answer in both English and Spanish. And I'll let you determine which one you'd like to do first. But the last question is, what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus? Christ. Yeah, so yo tengo una amiga que yo la conocí en California y ella siempre decía una cosa. Ella siempre decía, ¿sabes? El evangelio, algo que me, que me enseñaron a mí es que el evangelio no es un buffet. No es algo de que esto me gusta y esto no me gusta, o so eso no, no me lo voy a comer. El evangelio no es un buffet y no deberemos, no deberíamos verlo de esa manera, sino de que, de que el evangelio es un, es un manjar que todo es bueno para nosotros y todo este nos va a ayudar a nosotros como personas para crecer y también para, para, para hacer una relación con nuestro Padre Celestial y para ser felices en esta vida. So I had a really close friend in California who taught me this. She said that her family taught her that the gospel is not a buffet. You know, that you can go and choose, oh, I really like this, oh, but I really don't like that. But it's not like that at all. Everything in the gospel is going to make us a better person and And everything in the gospel is going to make us develop a strong relationship with our Heavenly Father, which at the end is going to make us happy in this life. And so I think the same way after she taught me that the gospel, you have to go all the way in because if you're not, then you're missing some nutrients <laughs> so that you can be happy in this life. Yes, life can be really hard for everyone. Nobody has an easy life. Maybe we can have some parts of our lives be easy, but not everything is going to be easy, but that is part of life. And if we are all in, in the gospel, 
We're going to be happy. We're going to find what happiness is. And so that's, ese es mi testimonio. Que si tenemos, uh, si entramos todo en el evangelio y lo tomamos todo, vamos a poder ser felices en esta vida que no es fácil para nadie de nosotros. Quizá tengamos buenos días, pero otros días no sean tan buenos, que si lo tomamos todo, nos va a poder hacer que veamos la vida y que seamos un poquito más felices, porque nadie más nos va a hacer feliz que nuestro Padre Celestial y, y nuestro Salvador Jesucristo. Y I, share, I just wanted to share my testimony of that, that ever since I met the gospel in my life, I'm happy, <laughs> regardless of what comes my way, because I know that my Heavenly Father loves me, and I am special to Him. I might not be special for everyone, but I know that I'm special to Him, and that gives me strength. <laughs> Sigrid, I have to tell you, you have such a light about you, and I appreciate so much you being willing to share it with us on this episode. So thank you so, 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 so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. We are so grateful to Sigrid Hernandez for joining us on today's episode. A big thanks, as always, to Derek Campbell of Mix It Six Studios for his help with this episode. And thank you so much for listening. We'll be with you again next week.